Last June, Alzheimer's patients and advocates rejoiced. This morning, a historic development in the fight against Alzheimer's. It's something that will help the quality of life. We have hope on the horizon. The FDA approving a new treatment for the condition for the first time in nearly 20 years. But would Medicare, which insures almost everyone who has Alzheimer's, pay for the $56,000 drug Aduhelm. Good afternoon, everyone. For the past six months. And welcome to the National Coverage Determination Listening Session. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services met with stakeholders. I am the Chief Science Officer for the Alzheimer's Association. Professor of Neurology at Brown Medical School. Reviewed controversial clinical trial data. And I'm the Chief Medical Officer at Biogen. I'm the Chairman and Co-Founder of Us Against Alzheimer's. And finally, last week, the agency delivered a surprising preliminary verdict. Only a sliver of the 1 million-plus Americans with early Alzheimer's would get the drug covered. Today, we talk with a patient, a doctor, and a former federal official about the decision's potential wide-ranging ramifications. From the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. I was working at my desk at home, and somebody texted and said, oh, I've heard a rumor that they're going to put this online a day earlier than the due date. Sean Tunis spent six years as the chief medical officer of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, the federal agency that oversees Medicare. He's also advised the FDA, Alzheimer's advocates, and the drug maker Biogen. And Pretty soon after that, I checked on the CMS website, and sure enough, the policy had been posted. And what'd you think? Yeah, so, you know, I I was certainly expecting that Medicare would be likely to restrict in some way the coverage of the drug. Sean explains that it's common for Medicare to only cover a drug for people with certain symptoms or diagnoses. In this case, the drug showed some potential benefit only for people with early-onset Alzheimer's, a subset of the 6 million Americans who have the disease. Medicare also sometimes requires companies to collect data about individual patients, too. But that is not what Medicare did here. What I wasn't expecting was the requirement that patients would be participating in randomized clinical trials as a requirement for Medicare to pay for the drug. This just did not follow anything that looked like, you know, a precedent that I was familiar with. Medicare took this to a whole new level, blocking access to an FDA-approved drug for virtually all patients, except those willing to enroll in a clinical trial. Essentially saying, we don't share the FDA's confidence in this drug's clinical data. We want another round of clinical trials to better understand the drug's risks and benefits. So, Sean, Medicare has never done this before. There was zero precedent. When you were reading this at your desk, at home, what was going on in your head? It made me a little anxious just because in some ways I it struck me immediately that this was going to have a lot of ripples for quite a while. You know, this was a big deal. This decision is a big deal, in part because it impacts more than just this one drug. Aduhelm is the first in a pipeline of promising treatments for this devastating disease that impacts millions 
and that pipeline could be worth billions to pharmaceutical companies. Sean, how do you think we got here? Like, why did CMS seem to go so far off script? I'm not thinking of quite the right metaphor here, but like maybe like the perfect storm. You know what I mean? You took the words out of my mouth. Right. It's, it's you know, the perfect storm, right, was like three storm systems that should never have come together. And all of a sudden you've got a super storm. And that's kind of feels like what's going on here. Everybody's terrified of this disease. There hasn't been a new drug in 17 years. And something comes along that, you know, offers some hope. And then in the middle of that, you kind of like spark all of the anxiety about unreasonable drug prices. All of that is, you know, pieces of the perfect storm. You mention unreasonable drug prices. And of course, Medicare can't negotiate drug prices and is also forbidden from considering costs in coverage decisions like this. But I got to wonder, how much did Biogen's $56,000 price tag play in creating this situation? You know, all of this happened in the context of the debates about whether Medicare should have the authority to negotiate drug prices, right? And here you have a drug that's enormously expensive with, at best, debatable evidence. And even if you believe the evidence, you know, likely small benefit, and it comes in at $56,000 a year. And everybody looks at that and they go, what is wrong with this picture? That just like, it just doesn't make sense that Medicare, if they decided to cover this, would actually have to pay that amount. So I'm not saying that's entirely because of the the economic burden, but it's the economic burden combined with, you know, multiple lines of concern and kind of unresolved policy that sort of exploded in the context of this decision. So... Assuming this initial decision sticks, I'd like us to talk a little bit more about the fallout for a few of the stakeholders. Let's start, Sean, with the federal agencies where you used to work, CMS and FDA. What ripple effects do you think might this decision have on those institutions? Certainly, at least at a, at a high level, it really looked like there were these two big agencies who looked at the same clinical trial data and came to different conclusions about, you know, what it meant. One thing that strikes me as fairly straightforward and that should have happened (laughs) in this case is a lot more conversation between FDA and CMS before the approval ever happened. But to my knowledge, there was little or none. And that seems a little bit inexcusable. Right. Basically, we've built up a system where doctors, patients, and drug companies expect if the FDA approves a drug, Medicare is going to cover that drug. This ruling obviously throws all of that up into the air, and now we've got a bunch of questions. Like, what does this mean for private insurers, including Blue Cross, United, and Aetna? A few health plans we know have come out last fall saying they will not cover this drug, but a bunch were waiting to follow Medicare's lead. Where does it leave them, do you think? I think the payers in general (laughs) have been feeling for some number of years that the FDA approval standards have been 
kind of moving in a downward direction in terms of how stringent the evidence requirements have been. And I think I think the payers are kind of relieved and also a little bit reassured that some sanity exists in the system and that even, you know, when the FDA makes a controversial call, that there are still policy mechanisms in place to, uh, to give that a second look. Quick aside, Medicaid, the insurance program for low-income Americans, is still required to cover at helm for all eligible patients. And even though Biogen recently slashed the drug's price to $28,000, states are worried this could hit their budgets hard. So, Sean, finally, what are the pros and cons of this decision for the pharmaceutical industry? Obviously, for Biogen, this is a nightmare. For other companies that have drugs in the pipeline, this kind of changes the landscape for them in terms of maybe deciding that they need to actually show direct evidence of clinical benefit. And then it's also kind of uh, a bit shocking and concerning, again, because Medicare has sent a message here that they are willing to exercise independent authority that does not defer as much as they historically have to uh, FDA decision-making. Sean added that he guesses this new trial could take three to five years, involve a few thousand patients, and cost Medicare hundreds of millions of dollars. After the break, we head to Raleigh, North Carolina, to hear from a patient in Stanford, California, and talk with a doctor who is not giving up hope. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back. On today's show, we're breaking down an unprecedented move to severely restrict coverage of aduhelm, sometimes called aducanumab, the first new Alzheimer's drug in nearly 20 years. Citing insufficient data on the drug's safety and efficacy, Medicare is proposing to only pay for patients who enroll in additional clinical trials. While some patients worry about the side effects like brain swelling and brain bleeding, others like 60-year-old Jay Reinstein were on the edge of their seats. This drug was perfect for me because I'm early stage. I'm doing pretty well. And I had so much hope. Early onset Alzheimer's forced Jay to retire at 58 after a 20-plus year career in local government. He lives in Raleigh, North Carolina, and he's keeping busy. He's a radio host, an advocate, and a grandfather. Jay, how old are your grandkids? Okay, so this is a tough one. Uh, Grandkids are 12, 9, 6, and 4. I did it. (laughs) I did better. I can't remember the names all the time. Uh, Right now, I'm trying to think. My grandkids, um, Zoe... 
Frost, which is a crazy name. Uh, and I'm forgetting... I just, I'm forgetting the names really quickly here, but, but I'll remember them shortly. Jay's days are full of daily reminders like these, that his disease is on this slow, inevitable march. I know this drug is not going to cure me. It's all about just a little bit more time. Now, as Jay sees it, CMS has potentially slammed the door on that dream of a little more time. I mean, this was, all we have is hope. You know, we were so close to getting something. Now you're telling us no, a clinical trial? That's, you know, it's, it's bullshit. Uh, and I hate to say it, it's like the government has given us the middle finger. Do you plan to try to enroll in one of these Medicare trials? I mean, absolutely. I want to enroll in everything possible. But, but the thing is, is I, I think the downside of the clinical trials is is that I don't know if I'm getting the drug or a, um, uh, uh, a placebo. T- to ask people now who are already so stressed out about this, now you're going to have us scramble to try to get in these clinical trials, try to find – I don't know if you've ever looked. Going on to these trial maps, it's not easy. It's very confusing. There's all these limitations. The FDA approved the damn drug. That's what we thought was what we needed. Now you're putting another barrier in. So no, I mean, I will definitely try to enroll, but I know the process is going to be very frustrating. Very frustrating. Jay's wife has a creed. Do what you got to do. He admits he's not sure what that is yet. Maybe, he says, he'll call Biogen and see if they'll cut a deal with him. We've now heard from a patient and a policy wonk. So what about the providers? The docs and nurses with little to offer patients suffering from this devastating disease. How do they feel about this decision that starkly contradicts the FDA's initial approval of Adahelm? We head west to California to hear from not just any doctor, but one who has spent years enrolling patients in clinical trials for Adhelm and other Alzheimer's drugs. I was surprised, very surprised. Sharon Shaw is a neurologist and associate vice chair of clinical research at Stanford University. Sharon, how did you feel on the inside when you saw the news? Like you said it was striking, but how did you actually feel? initially slightly disappointed, not because I think it was the wrong decision, but I've been doing a lot of planning in preparing to offer this drug for our patients in a safe way. So all of the work may not have been needed had I known already that CMS was going to um, decide we're not going to cover this drug outside of the clinical trial. Do you anticipate that as a result of this CMS decision, people, you and others will say, okay, we're going to run a specific trial that's going to meet the specific requirements that CMS laid out? I don't know if there are going to be others that are going to say, I'm going to write a trial, I'm going to apply for a grant and run this study. I think that people who have the most vested interest in proving that this drug works are the people at Biogen. 
and they already have that phase four clinical trial requirement mandated by the FDA to be performed within nine years of the approval anyway. And so they would just need to follow those stipulations that CMS has put forth for it. Okay. To be clear, you're saying if this CMS decision stands, you expect Biogen to try to basically kill two birds with one stone, right? Tweak the extra trial they already had to run for the FDA and make sure it meets these new CMS requirements. In terms of those requirements, Sharon, one big shortcoming of the original Biogen trials was their lack of diversity. Public data show nearly, I think, 80% of participants were white, even though the risk of Alzheimer's disease is much higher for Black and Hispanic patients. Now, CMS says it's only going to consider trials that are representative of the national population diagnosed with the disease. So how hard is it to actually meet that diversity bar? These clinical trials take a lot of time and resources. So usually people who have to do their job, can't take time off, cannot participate in a clinical trial because they can't afford it. And those tend to be people in underserved communities. So it can make make it very hard to be as diverse. So we have to think about not only Biogen's responsibility, but we as a community, as a scientific community, and as a society, how do we support research like this? So obviously, as you know, this decision is not final. CMS is accepting public comments over the next month, Sharon. If you had CMS's ear right now, what would you tell them to change, if anything, about this decision? It'd be great if they thought about covering additional tests, such as an amyloid PET scan, to really confirm whether or not we're giving the drug to the right patients and whether or not to continue giving the drug and see if it's working for them. So that was that would be the one comment you would make. That's the one comment that I would make thus far. I guess I'm surprised. I would have thought that another comment you would make to CMS is that CMS should just cover the drug. <laughs> no, I mean I think I don't think that even though I may have said I was initially disappointed because of the work that I've put in and the the heartbreak that patients might be going through, the trial was messy from the outset, the data, the diversity. And so this is CMS's answer. It's a chance to redo the trial. It's forcing Biogen's hand to redo the trial. Sort of the final question here, Sharon, when you're 66, right? 20 years out from today, what's the legacy of this whole saga going to have been? I think a lot of people said when the FDA approved this drug, we've done it. The very first disease-modifying drug for Alzheimer's disease is here, it's now. And even if it's not perfect, the ones that follow might even be better. It's a wave of drugs. And in the past, when we said to my Alzheimer's patients, we, we don't have anything for you, we now have something. So that could be part of that disappointment with CMS 
denying coverage. Um, but it grounds us to say, you know what? We need to be sure so that we can really say to this patient in front of me, I have something for you and I think it's going to work. And in that way, that's why you think the CMS decision was a good decision. Yeah. Because they're demanding that. Yes, exactly. They're demanding that we have proof. So what I say, say to my patient, I have a drug for you. It's going to help you. That I can say that with confidence. But I still think it's, you know, I think that we all have hope. And that's what we're all working for. I don't know why I'm getting so emotional. We're all hopeful. Why are you getting emotional? The patients that I see are going through a lot. The families are going through so much. And the time that I say to them, you have Alzheimer's disease. We don't have a cure for you right now. But I'm working on it. We have experiments. We have trials. And those that enroll, they are hopeful. And I never want to take away that hope. So the CMS decision, I think, might take away hope for those patients. And I want everyone listening and reading this decision to know that we're not giving up. It doesn't mean that we don't have a drug for you. It means that we just need to be better about proving the drug works for you. And we're going to get there. So I don't know what the future brings. But when I'm there, I want to look back and say, yes, this was messy. But we got to something. And we demanded that it was proven safe and helpful for you. Sharon, it has been an absolute honor and privilege to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us on Trade-Offs. Man, you got me. (laughs) Since the CMS draft decision came out on January 11th, nearly 200 public comments have come in. The comment period closes in February with a final decision expected in April. Sean Tunis anticipates a full court press, possibly even legal challenges from patient advocates and drug makers who have called the decision, quote, discriminatory and dangerous. One of the things that I learned when I was working at CMS is, you know, regulated industries don't respond well to surprises. When you do something for the first time and you haven't even given people kind of a heads up that it's something that is on the table... It never goes down very well. Sean added, it is not uncommon for draft decisions to change dramatically. I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. More people are dying from drug overdoses than ever before in the U.S. In response, the federal government is embracing a controversial philosophy designed to keep people safe while they continue their drug use. The alternative is people are going to use in a McDonald's bathroom, or they're going to use in a parking lot or an alley alone, or they're going to use in a hotel room alone and die. How harm reduction went from fringe to federal policy. Next time on Tradeoffs.
If you enjoyed today's episode of Trade-Offs, don't keep it to yourself. Tell someone else about it. Friend, colleague, family member. Better still, leave a rating or a review wherever you subscribe to us. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, we're in all the places. The Trade-Offs team is producers Ryan Levy and Andrea Perdomo, Executive Director Jessica Silverman, Communications Manager Nora Tahiri, Operations Assistant Jamie Song, Senior Health Policy Editor Sarah Thomas, Sound Designer Andrew Perella, Executive Editor Dan Gorenstein, and Senior Producer Leslie Walker. The Trade-Offs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from Blue Dot Sessions. Trade-Offs coverage of healthcare costs is supported in part by Arnold Ventures and West Health. Additional thanks to Mike Lynch and Rachel Sachs. Thanks also to all our listeners who helped to support our work, including Robbie Bernstein, Naomi Fenner, and Alexander Schrader. Trade-Offs is supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, West Health, the Better Care Playbook, the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, the Sosose Foundation, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management Foundation. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of trade-off staff, advisors, or funders. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.